Hey, and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for being here. This episode is brought to you by Baseball Cloud. Go to baseballcloud.com to find out how you can have your own data analytics department for your program. Data has a story to tell, and Baseball Cloud gives it a voice. Now, today, I'll be going solo. This was a talk I gave at the Virginia Baseball Coaches Association on November 30th, and I've also attached the PowerPoint that goes with it. So I hope you can take one to two things away from this, just like I usually take one to two things away from all of you. And I also want to take the opportunity to thank Tim Mary and the VBCA for the opportunity to speak with you. And if you're ever in the area, you do not want to miss that event in 2019. This entire week will be dedicated to Virginia coaches or the coaches who are at Virginia giving presentations. And so I hope that you guys will enjoy. But here are 10 stolen ideas that you can take to practice tomorrow. Good morning, good morning, good morning. How are you guys? Good. Hey, that's a better reply than I usually get when I walk into my classroom. So you guys are off to a good start. Uh, thanks to Tim for putting this on. This is, guys, this is an awesome event. And for this being the first year, you guys are doing a heck of a job with, uh, with, with coming, and it's only going to grow from here. So you guys are doing a heck of a job there. And uh, thank you to the VBCA staff and, and the board uh, for allowing me to come and, and speak to you guys. And, the, you know, they say that to grow, you've got to be the dumbest guy in the room. And so that's me. All right. So I, uh, I also want to say thank you to you guys for coming. And the reason why is because your kids are so lucky to have a coach that comes to these events to try and grow themselves. Because if we're asking them to grow and get better, then we need to. So thank you guys for coming and thank you guys for listening. And hopefully there's something that you can take away from this. Uh, so I started a podcast about a year and a half ago. And it's kind of the same thing. I love coming to these events and learning a bunch of different stuff. So I figured, why don't I just call people, record it, send it out, and that way I can learn, but I guess other people can listen as well. So that's really why, the why of starting a podcast. It's just I wanted to spread good free information and learn in the process. But I actually, so I'm, I'm from Union High School in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we actually have a special connection to Virginia. And so this guy on the left here is the starting quarterback for Union High School in 1994. And does anybody recognize him? He may look a little bit more familiar in this picture. Coach Fuente. And we're very proud of him. Obviously, big win last week, which was awesome. But yeah, Coach Fuente uh, went to Union High School and uh, wish him nothing but the best. Any, any Hokies in the house? Cool. Very cool. All right, so today's, today's topic is kind of a buffet of information. You're not going to be able to use all of it, but hopefully there's some one thing or two things that you can take away from this and put into your program. So the first slide is going to be the why. The why about why, we're, why I think it's important. And then the second slide is going to be more practical. So different things that you can actually take away. So it's not just in theory. It's either things that other people have done or things that we have added to ourselves and our program. And the first thing is relationships. You know, don't, and don't listen to me. We had you know, two of the, the best coaches in college baseball yesterday talk about this. And without this, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters in anything that we do if we don't have some sort of a base of a relationship with the players that we're working with. And we can, we can coach baseball all we want, but to truly get the most out of someone our players, then we need to have some sort of a relationship with them. 
And I, I really think it's it's the opposite of being soft. I think that we, the, that they'll go to battle for you the more of a relationship that you have with them, okay? And, you know, we all are here for a reason because coaches had a relationship with us. And that's, you know, we can never lose sight of that. And so two coaches that I really, really enjoy, football coaches um, that, that talked about this, one of them, Sean McVay, and he said that, Good coaches help their players reach their highest potential, and it starts with being able to connect with them as a human being first. Okay, and this is a guy who's in his early 30s who's coaching guys his age and at a very successful level. And then the second one, and this one is, has driven me uh, after my first couple years of coaching, and that's from Dabo Sweeney, who I, who I love to death. I think he's, he's a great example of a great person, but also a great coach. And he said that rules without relationships lead to rebellion. And you think about it, I mean, we've all worked for a bad boss who tells us to do different things, and we don't have a relationship with them. We're, we're going to do the bare minimum. And so we, we can't ever forget why we started. We started as coaches to be able to impact lives. Just don't ever forget that. I know there's going to be hard days. There, there are hard days every week. But just remember why you started. With this one, this is a pie chart of the average lifespan of an American citizen, and that's 80 years. And the black part is their high school career. So over the span of 80 years, that's how small of a time of an impact we have to have on our kids. And if we think about it like that, it's, it's not a very long period of time. 5% of their life they get to spend with us. But how much of an impact does that short period of time have on the rest of our lives? Again, most people can trace back to a coach or a teacher who had them in class or on the field and they can say they had a huge impact on me. And that's why we're here. And so I just wanted to share that. It, it really gives you some perspective whenever you see it in, in that context. So some practical applications, go visit them in their at their house. Go visit them or have them over. Two years ago, I was at a high school in Frisco, Texas, and for every incoming freshman that we had, we would go, we would take five or six and we would go visit them. And we would, you know, just go to their house, we, but it would really give us an insight of who they are as a person and maybe where they're coming from. Another one, and this is one that I struggle with, is being present in the locker room, just being around guys. And, you know, I'm, I'm really busy before and after practice, but I'm trying to be really conscious about being more present in the locker room and just being around, if that makes sense, rather than just going to the coach's office and hanging out. We also need to catch them doing things right. And I, I'm one of, I, I am very guilty of this is I want to correct behavior, but I don't necessarily praise it when I see it. And that's something that I think we can all do a better job of, at least for me. Also to get to know them off the field. So the best practical example I've got for this one is I go around during a catch play and I just pick out a couple of random kids every day and ask them a couple of random questions. So, for instance, like, what's the best vacation you've ever been on? Where is your family from? Or have you grown up and lived in Tulsa your entire life? What, uh, what are you doing next summer? What are your goals? Do you have brothers and sisters? What do they do? Do they play sports? What do your parents do? Different things like that, just to let them understand that I really care about them off the field as much as on the field. And I, I try and pick out a few different players every day. Uh, I, and I try to... I kept an Excel spreadsheet of just who I talked to because we may go a couple weeks without talking to our players and like directly talking to our players about something other than baseball. And I just really want to make sure that especially the kids that are uh, introverts who don't really 
you know, that aren't our leaders on the team that I want to make sure that they're getting, getting as much as attention as the guys that are our best players. Uh, the second one, and this, was, this has been really important, obviously, with the podcast, is the importance of communication. And I, you know, I, the more that I dig into this, the more I truly believe this is probably the most important aspect of being a leader. Because I think that we can have all the information that we want and we can grow ourselves as much as we want, it's great. But if we're not spreading that information, if we're not communicating in a, in a way that's effective, then, we, then we're just keeping it to ourselves. And, and I think that's, you know, it's, it's mostly verbal, but it's also body language. You know, we, we talk about kids having bad body language all the time. Look at yourself. I mean, watch yourself on video. Or ask, hey, I mean, kids will call you out about it too. I had a kid call me out about it a couple years ago. He said, Coach, you're asking us to do all of this, but then whenever we make a bad play, you're like, oh, or you're rolling your eyes. Or, and so that really hit me hard earlier in my career. And so I've been, been trying to do a really a much better job of trying to embody the behavior I want to condone. And that starts with body language too. Uh, also over-communicate. Whenever we think we communicate enough, we probably aren't. So just try to over-communicate. I don't, I don't think that you can, but that's just a term that, that I've heard in the past that I really like. And that's also between us, parents, facility coaches, strength coaches, and college coaches. And there seems to be a divide for some reason between all of these different uh, things, all of these different coaches. But in the end, we're just trying to make play players better. And if, you know, if we, as whichever one of those coaches you are, reach out and say, hey, what can I do to help? What are you doing with this player? It's only going to help them get better. And then try and speak the player's language. That's the reason why I put the clip of Dabo over there. Is he, he can't dance at all, <laughs> right? But he's trying. And that's, that's just an example of he's trying to speak the player's language. He's trying to grow with them. And I heard this on the ABCA podcast uh, last week, actually. I wanted to include it. And Tim Corbin said, if you're not growing with your kids, you're growing away from them. And that really hit home with me. And he said that you have to stay relevant to stay current. And that's easy for me being a 30-year-old. And, but I, I just want to take that uh, away with the older I get, the more I have to grow with them. And I don't know how old Tim is, over 50, but in coaching for a long time. But if he's saying that, then I need to listen. So some practical applications with this. I don't think we ask our players this first one enough. What do you want? What do you want out of your career? Like, what do you want out of this program? What, like, what are your goals and your aspirations? And uh, again, most of this stuff I'm guilty and that's why I'm trying to learn it myself so I wanted to uh, include that but also I had a coach last year uh, his name was Chris Cox he does a fantastic job of communicating with parents but he would write a weekly email and send it out on Sundays of just the schedule for the week and I really think that that helped with the parent communication because they feel like they're part of the program because they're getting updated every single week and I know that's something that, that you're like, man, that's extra time that I have to take. But it's also something that may make them have your back in the end. And that's what we really want. Also, team Twitter account. Uh, I think most of you guys that are in here are probably familiar with that. And then give them opportunities to share. So this, like, this bottom picture here, at the, we, we talk to our players uh, about, about once a week. And we give them different, different topics to talk about. And an example of those would be hero, hardship, and highlight. So who's your hero? What's a highlight of your baseball career or just your life in general? And then tell us about hardship that you've been through. And most of the time that's with small groups, at least, at least that last one. But 
uh, it, it really gives you an insight about who they are as a person and, and how they were transformed into who they are today. But this is one that, that our seniors love is what would they tell their freshman self? And that's a big one because most of them will say that it goes by fast. It goes by really fast. And, I re and that's, a, that's definitely a good one. So is this one, what is your pro what is this program meant to you? Because they've, had, they've been there for four years. And so if your best players, your seniors, your guys going off to college that your freshmen look up to are asking or are telling your freshmen these things, then it's probably going to stick a little bit better than if I am. Because they get tired of, of hearing me speak anyways. And then I also send out daily nuggets of inspiration or articles to players, either in group chat or anything. It's just like, hey, I saw this on Twitter. This is cool. And then hopefully they'll reciprocate and send that stuff back to you. Because if we, if we do it that way, just through text in a pretty informal way, then it's a, it's a way for them to get something from you every day. Because, again, we may not talk to our players directly one-on-one -on -one for a couple of days at a time if we've got you know, 60 guys in our program. But at least they're hearing something from you every day or every couple of days. Uh, number three is, is the use of, and I know that's a four-letter word, and it's a dirty word at times, but the use of data, and I, again, it's a dirty word, but it's only going to get more prominent. And so a couple of things that, that I want to point out is, is just measure what you treasure, and measurement is motivation. So if we want to motivate our kids throughout the entire offseason, we need to show progress, or we need to show how, where they're digressing. And that's going to motivate them to become better as a player because they can see it. And, you know, if you went to the weight room and you didn't, and you didn't go up in weight at all in a couple weeks, that's going to motivate you. Or in January, whenever we're all trying to lose weight and we, we don't have scales, how do you know? And so that's just a way to be able to track what you – and, I'm not, and I'm, not, I'm not saying what to track, but just track what you feel is important. And we want to be able to teach truth, not tradition – and we don't want to guess. We don't want to guess what, what is important to us. We want to make sure if it's important to us, we're going to track it, and we're going to show the players why. Like, this is important because this is going to help us win games, is this, and this is going to help you get better. And we're getting into December, so even, even Santa Claus uses data. So some practical applications. I'm just going to skip over the first two. But it could be the first. It, it could be as simple as just counting line drives in a cage one day. Hey, competition, hey, we're counting line drives in a cage today or strike percentage and hit spot percentage, uh, hits between certain parts of the field or the cage. I mean, we're all, we all like to see balls go to the back of the cage, right? Or most of us count them, use it as a competition, track it, and then post it. And that's going to motivate them. They love to see their names on a list. And if it's really far down the list, then it's probably going to motivate them to get better. Uh, video before and after. We can take video on our phones. All of us have iPhones or, or smartphones in general. Uh, take it, upload it to Google Drive, and just send it to them. And Google Drive is pretty easy, and it would not take very long to do that. But I also really like this base running chart. And this is something that, I, again, most of this stuff that I stole, but this was a coach from Oregon named Max Price. And I used to have a card in my back pocket that would tell us average steal time. And so I'd look at it, and then I'd decide whether or not it was a good idea or not. But he actually took it and posted it in the, uh, in the dugout. And I thought that was genius because we want to get players to go on their own and we give a green light and nobody moves. And if we're giving them that ownership and they can see with data what is good or if they can go or not, then they're going to, have, they're going to go a whole lot more than if we just give them the green light signal. Number four is individualization. And uh, this is something that it's just a term that's been coined the last couple of years or gotten popular in the last couple of years. But... 
If we want instant buy-in, then we need to tell the player why it's important for their career. And, you know, I, it comes down to communication. And if we communicate with the player, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a whole lot easier to be able to do this. And it sounds daunting, but it doesn't have to be. And I'm a firm believer that if the player gets better, then our team's going to get better. So if each individual player on our team gets better, then we're going to have a better team, which, you know, that makes sense. But it's not as hard as it sounds if we're talking to the player about it. So some practical applications with that is, again, we, we just need to communicate with them, even if it's once a week, once every couple weeks, about, hey, what are you feeling? What do you like here? What do you think is your biggest weakness? And then we just we put them in a group that's, that's like that. And uh, so, we, so we used the entire fall to program what we liked, and we just said, hey, here are all the stuff that we think is important. And then we're going to group in the spring according to their deficiencies. And so we're still trying to win games. We're still trying to do, you know, BP on the field. But we're also going to add a station at the very, uh, or our dry work station, and use that as for their individual work. Because, again, we don't want to put, uh, we don't want to put player development on the back burner just to win games. At all. We can do both. And that would be an example of, okay, so we've got on-field, and whatever you guys do with BP, it's, you know, it's, it's fine. But just add maybe a station or two and group those guys together so they can work on it, they can communicate with each other, and they can help them. Because, guys, group training is awesome if you can get your guys to communicate and you can not have five different people with five different drills doing five different things. Put them together so they can talk about, hey, how did, how did you progress from this? And I, I think that's powerful in itself. Number five, uh, and I think this is going to become more and more popular, and that's constraint training. And uh, this would be an example of a constraint. This, this was my wife whenever she was pregnant with our, with our baby. So we go to Lowe's, and I mean, why do we go to Lowe's? To buy PVC pipes, right? I'm sure you guys have seen that. You, you see the coach who's got an entire cart full of different size PVC pipes. But uh, yeah, so that would be a constraint there and grab it, grip and rip, and you've got a 20-pound weight in the middle of your body, that's a constraint, right? But this is, this is because it takes, it, takes, um, it takes the coaching aspect out of it. I don't want to say that, but every single, and I didn't have a more eloquent way of saying that, but it makes training more efficient, and it gives the player a goal to try and beat, so it's almost like a game. So you're going to set up a constraint, and you're going to give them a problem, and the player is going to try and solve the answer. So if we want them to do a certain thing, we set up a problem or a drill that has them, if, to be able to beat this, then we've got to be able to do this, and that's gonna put them in the positions that we want them to, or to be able to hit the ball where we want them to. And that's where those external cues are better than internal cues. And I'll, and I'll touch more on that in just a second. But it, that way you don't have to say something every pitch, and you don't have to walk around and, and watch the whole time. They either do it or they don't. And that's the, the best way of instant feedback. So for some practical applications, that's a great book if you guys are interested in the constraints-led approach. But every, every aspect of baseball, we can use time as a constraint. And we can speed things up. Because we, we gripe about, we, wanna, we, wanna, we don't want the game to speed up when we get there. Well, how are we practicing? So with hitting, I mean, it's weighted bats, uh, I put cones in the outfield. I mean, we've all done that before where we have it in the power alleys and we're counting the amount of balls that go in there. Uh, you, uh, the bottom right, you guys, I think it's bottom right. Bottom right, you guys see the wall of ground ball prevention. Whether you believe in that or not, that's just a form of a constraint. 
And that's telling them, okay, we want you to hit fly balls. And if you hit the screens, it's too low. So figure out a way to hit, a, hit them over them and hit them hard. Also PVC, you can do so much stuff with that. Uh, angled BP from different angles is a good one as well. And then with pitching, the, the two biggest ones for me, one is plow ball work with overload and under, underload balls. You grab a four pound ball, you're gonna be able to throw it more efficiently or you're gonna, you're gonna know. And then throwing to small targets, and we, we talk about playing catch correctly, and we, we do this, but that's just another form of a constraint that we could add to them. And then the command trainers are just those really small uh, things that you put right behind the plate with the white dot, and those are really good. So number six is decision training. And if we think about it, athletics is just a series of good decisions. And so how can we train that? How can we make it more game-like? How can we, how can we add this? element to our practices so they don't get into a game and not have been there before. So the players are the ones that win the games, not us, right? I've, I've yet, ever, never thrown a pitch and won a game as a coach. I've never hit a ball as a coach and won a game. And so if we want them to win games for us, we need to have them think more like us and to understand what to do whenever there's a ball in play or whenever there's a ball coming at them. And we've got to understand that success is not memorizing the right answer all the time. It's being able to solve problems. And that's with any aspect of life. If we want our players, to, if, if our players can solve problems, they're going, to be, they're going to be apt to be successful. And the answer is always changing. It's baseball. So some practical examples, and then I've got a couple videos. Uh, we, we just got to, we've got to do very few mindless drills. And we do some different things that are somewhat just to build a foundation. And I'll show you an example here on the next slide. But we also want to do random and mixed BP. Because if you think about it, feel good BP is great. Game day. Man, we want, to, we want to feel like they're hitting the ball 1,000 miles an hour. But they never get that in a game. There's not going to be two pitches thrown that are going to be the same. So we get, <laughs> we get this all the time. Hey, coach, pitch is thrown too slow. I can't hit it. Do something about it, right? Are we training that? Hey, pitcher's throwing too fast. Well, what's your sweet zone, man? What's your sweet spot? Like, what, you want them to throw 81 every single time right down the middle? It's not going to happen. And so we need to be able to train that. And so there was a study done with Cal Poly, and sorry if you guys can't see it, but they did a, a study that they took uh, three groups. One of them, they didn't do anything, which was their test group. Another one, they did uh, a blocked group, which after practice, they did 45 pitches, 15 fastballs, 15 curveballs, and 15 changeups. And then the other one, they threw 45 random. And at the end of the study, the random group improved 57%, 56.7%, the block group 24%, and then the control group was 6 So there is value in that, and there is data to back that up. But a couple other things besides from the hitting side is base running. So first and third on the outfielder, so uh, you've got a runner at first, have them go to third and have the outfielder throw them out. Okay? And then pitchers and catchers versus base runners, rather than we're going to throw five down. Okay, that's the foundation we want to be able to do that. But when do they know when a runner is going in a game? They don't. So they have to process that, and make a decision, and still make a throw on the fly. And it's the same thing with, with first and thirds. How do we get our guys to go first and third? Every time guy comes to first, we're saying, hey, go to, go to thir first to third if you can. Well, how do they know that? We have to practice it. So uh, a couple of other ones, game like bullpens, hold it, uh, making them actually come set and hold runners uh, using counts with catchers calling pitchers and picks. I get so mad whenever we call a pick from the dugout and the, and the pitcher doesn't do it, probably because we're not practicing enough. 
infield reps, uh, reps versus decisions will be on the next slide. And then with catchers, I, guys, their job's hard. But we, they've got to be able to block pitches that aren't in sequence altogether. They've got to make that decision to go down and block it. And essentially, we want repetition without re repetition. So an example of this would be, so the first, the first one is kind of our block one foundation. Hey, we're going to learn how to field a ground ball. And however you guys teach that, I'm sure it's perfectly fine. And, and they could go 10 out of 10 on those. But the second one, we're actually adding a decision-making element from that. And we're making them try and decide, okay, should I backhand this? Should I forehand this? Should I come and get it? Should I get the long hop? So they have to make a decision on what that is. So again, I'm not saying that the first video doesn't have value. I'm just saying we need to add an element of a decision that needs to be made to that. Does that make sense? And so you'll, if you'll notice, they're going to struggle a little bit here. But that's okay. We want them to be able to do this in a game, struggle in practice, and to be able to perform in the game. And this one I stole from... Tyler Gillum at South Mountain. I don't know if you guys follow him, but, but he's awesome. And, and there's value in this. And, and one, it's competition. Two, he's got to make a decision every single time the ball is hit on what he's got to do to get it in, in his glove. And this kid does a fantastic job. I don't think he lets one ball bind, but they've got two cones set out. And the goal is don't let it pass you. So how are you going to do that? Okay, and, and if it gets into their glove, they're going to have a pretty good chance of getting it out. But, again, this kid does a fantastic job of that. And then with PFP, okay, we do the three-line thing every single, or as well to get them to show them what to do. So if you're first base side, you go to first. If you're at second, you throw it to second base. If you're at third, you turn, throw it to third, right? But this is another one. Uh, there's two lines, and depending on which line you come from is depending on where you go with the ball. So if you come from the third base side, your options are turn and throw to third. If we yell squeeze, you've got a glove flip. If it's back to you, you will go one, two, three. And this was our first day doing it, so you know, don't roast me too bad on this. But uh, if you're on the first base side, you're either getting over, the second baseman's either doing it, you're hitting the high chopper, they have to communicate, you're rolling a bunt. And so depending on where the ball's hit and which line they come from is the decision that they have to make to be able to do this. And I stole this, again, with most of the stuff that, that I have uh, from a coach named Kyle Nelson. And this is really, again, we do the three-line thing. But we also need to make them understand that once they get on the mound, they've got to know what to do with the baseball. And again, you guys can catch me after this if you need any of this, but here's some other examples as well. And I'm going to hit on a couple of them. And I'm sure you guys do several of these as well, but my favorite one is an all-double scrimmage. So anything hit to the outfield, your guys that are on base or at home have to go two bases. And so the outfielders have to decide where to throw it and then the runners get to see how much they can push the issue without being out. And if they're out, then they just go back to the previous base. And I, I really like that one because, again, our, we, we gripe about our outfielders throwing to the wrong bag. Well, we do cuts and relays, and they're throwing to one bag the whole time. They don't know. They don't know any better. And we gripe about our guys not pushing the issue out of the box. We'll show them that they can make most of the time. Uh, random ground balls is a good one rather than just hitting third base shortstop second base first you know hit random ground balls at random spots uh, you guys have done those yes and no standing in the bullpens but again we're trying to get them to make better decisions faster than we need to do that and <laughs> this is a good one dirty from 30 feet simulated game coach pitch scrimmage and get after it like show them how good you used to be 
and uh, outfield uh, cuts and relays with multiple runners and have them play it live. So again, we're, we're pushing the issue with whoever we've got running the bases, but we also are uh, making the outfielders make a decision or the, or the catcher showing or telling them where to go. So they're having to communicate first and third with teams versus each other. And then if we want, you know, there's some other game light stuff on there. How often do we show or do we tell infielders how fast the runner is? They may not know. So we use green, yellow, or red so they know how much time they've got. If a, if a guy uh, gets to first in less than four seconds, obviously, green runner, we got to get rid of it. But if you've got a big donkey who can't run to first with less than 10 seconds, then we're going to have a little bit more time. You can make more time. So just letting them know that helps them with the process. And then uh, we did this last year when I was a pitching coach. Uh, burpee bullpens, so they do 10 burpees, and then they'd have to throw a pin. We want to get them to understand that, it, that their body's going to change over the course of a game. And so just adding fatigue to anything would be a good constraint as well. Uh, number seven, okay, if we want to create an environment where, for, where performance improves, where do we do that? We do that in practice. And we've got to set up a safe environment where it's okay to fail. Your guys will hate mixed BP, hate it, because it doesn't make them feel good. But if they're hitting 800 in practice, we're doing something wrong. Like, that's not preparing them for a game. And I don't know if you guys follow Sean Larkin. He's the Dodgers, uh, but that's a fantastic tweet. But baseball is a sport of failure. And if we're not failing in practice, then we're not getting any better. And we have to also understand that baseball is really hard. And, again, it's, uh, it'll, it will beat us all down, but we need to uh, make it hard in practice. And then learning is not linear. It's going to be an up-and-down process the entire time. All right, so some practical applications uh, if we do it, it needs to transfer. Uh, if we want to make it game-like, then make it a game. Put something on the line. Keep score on something once a day. And it's in our nature to love competition. Uh, training needs to be addictive, and we gripe a lot about video games. But they've got it figured out. Like, they, they've got it figured out. You start at level one. Okay, man, you're awesome at level one. Now it's going to progressively get harder and harder, and that's addictive. We like to see us ourselves winning. But... If we can get very, very close and not, then that's going to make us want to do it more. And we also just need to set up goals that are hard and then let them figure it out. So that's why I love the constraints-led approach on that because they can beat, beat you, which is beating the game that you set up, or beat their score, which is what you'll see up here in the top right. The guys were staying late just to try and beat their uh, peak exit velocity. That's what we want. You know, what, whatever numbers that you use or whatever games you set up is irrelevant. But these guys are staying 30, 45 minutes after practice to hit to see the, the, the board line up. I mean, that's a win. And then finally, the, the last couple I've got, we need to do a better job of merging prep work and strength outside the cage. So if, if we can do a, a physical screening with your kids to understand, okay, they may not be able to swing like we're asking them to do because they physically can't. And we talk about hip and shoulder separation a lot, but can they actually get into that? Do they know what that feels like? And then we've got, we're gonna have stiff movers, we're gonna have loose movers, and we need to understand how to coach those guys and how to get them to where we wanna go. And a here's a couple of videos. A good resource for that one is On Base U. It's, it's TPI's new program for baseball. And I really like this. We stole this from Ryan Parker. So we've got uh, five different categories that we work on just to be a better athlete and baseball player. 
And number one is force production, which is our med ball tosses, which most of us do. Uh, the second one is force acceptance, which, which are slams and then trying to hold them against the wall. Flaw work for their swing, because we all want them to hit better. Uh, reactivity to learning to move in response of something. And then finally, general athleticism. So here's a couple videos. One of them is from Jarrett DeHart, who's, you need to follow him because he's really sharp. Here's one of me standing on a foam roller trying to throw a med ball. And then on far right is me on this sling, so it's, it's about an inch above the ground, trying to help work on moving forward better in our forward move and keeping and staying balanced. So I didn't show you like all the clips on the one on the foam roller where I fell. <laughs> so I didn't think that would give me much street cred in this room, but it's really hard. But those are some different practical applications you guys can take away. And then finally, uh, perception. We, always, we all see things a little bit different. And I put these pictures up because it may not be what we're trying to do or what we're trying to get them to do that's, that's the problem. It may be their filter. And uh, we need, that's why constraints and that's why external cues are important because it gives them some, a different context than what we're seeing. We may see something and, and it may be, uh, we may think that it's easy but it may not, not be easy for them. And so an internal cue is having the athlete think about what we're, what we're trying to get them to do. So we're like, hey, little Johnny, you need to stop dropping your hands. Okay, got it. So he drops them about, or he doesn't drop them for two swings, and then he does it again, right? But that's, he's trying to think about it. So we need to be able to set up external cues and having the athlete think about the effect of their movement or a goal that we set up for them to be able to fix the problem. And then here at the bottom, it just gives you a little bit of evidence for that, but I mean, <laughs> we all know that, it, that it's Yanny, the lines are straight, this is green and gray, the, the dress is blue, right? Take it in that, that it may not be, there may not be trying to be wrong, but it may just be their filter of how they see things. And so a good example of this is, and again, I'm not telling Pujols how to hit, but I'm just showing you his perception is to knob to the ball and swing straight down. Pujols has one of the greatest swings in the history of baseball. I'm not going to tell Pujols that he's wrong, right? So uh, some practical applications of how to do this, ask a lot of questions. Make them verbalize what you're trying to get them to do to you and use their language for them. And I'm not saying cues can't be effective because they can, but we also need to help them to understand what the context is behind those cues and speak their language to, for them to consistently do that because we can have the answers. Again, it's, it's no good if they're stealing our answers. They need to have their own to the problems that, that are going to arise because they're not, they're, we're not going to have them forever, and we can't go hit for them. And then finally, so I started with relationships, with, which I think is the foundation, and I wanted to bookend with culture, and, and I know that it's kind of a buzzword right now, but culture is real. And... Uh, so I, I started digging in on what is, what, is the, what is the best definition of culture. And if you ask 10 people, they're, they're going to have a different definition. But I really like this one. Culture is belief, behavior, and experience. The purpose of culture is to drive the behavior you're looking for. And feel good and fuzzy doesn't produce. Your standards drive your behavior. Your behavior drives culture. And your culture is what will make or break your program. Okay, that's coming from Brian Kite at Focus 3, works with the Ohio State guys. So uh, if you guys have heard of Above the, Above the Line by Urban Meyer, who obviously wasn't living it, but uh, he, uh, he wrote a book. It's great in theory, 
And we just need to understand that we are what we condone. And then, so I, I started at a Union, I, this is my second time there, and the first time I was there, I interviewed with, with the head football coach who won four state championships in a row at 6A, has a handful of D1 guys every single year, and uh, really a mentor of mine. And we talked nothing about football at all. So he was asking me, you know, what kind of, what kind of man are you? And his whole thing is, is he can teach us, he could teach me, or he could teach his coaches how to be better at the sport, but he couldn't teach us how to be better men. And I, that really stuck with me because a guy that's been that successful at such a high level saying that to me, that means a lot. And so some practical applications behind that. Uh, if we have a culture playbook, actually go over it and don't just give them this big thick binder of stuff that we want them to do. Okay, because we can do that, but they're not going to read it. And, you know, how do we spell love for our players? T-I-M-E. Spend time with them. And that's how they know that we're really in it for them. Uh, let players get to know you and be vulnerable. Remember I showed the clip of Dabo. <laughs> Pretty vulnerable, right? To, be, to dance in a locker room with a bunch of guys. And uh, this, is, this is my pastor, Pastor Craig Rochelle. Great leadership podcast, by the way, if you're into those kind of things. But he said people would rather follow a leader who's always real than a leader who's always right. And again, that's, that's just one of those that stuck home with me. And we all know that culture shows up everywhere. Shows up in the locker room. How dirty is it? Right? The dugout, same thing. We, we play summer ball games and there's cups everywhere. That's culture. That's, uh, culture's in the weight room. And then it, uh, the biggest thing for me, though, is if someone came and watched you practice, would that show up? Would they be able to see what you're wanting them to do without asking you? Would they be able to see your culture without them having to ask you, hey, what, what are your core values? And then we get the culture we create and the leaders that we build. So we can either gripe about it or we can do something about it. And so in closing, a couple culture resources. Culture Code is really good. Uh, Legacy, probably one of my top five all-time all books and really, really good. But if any of this, if you guys have questions for me, I'll be out in the corner. Uh, interviewing guys, but I'd love to be able to speak with you guys. And, and none of these are absolutes. I don't know how many absolutes there are in baseball, but hopefully there's something that you could take away. Please reach out if you need anything. And again, I, I'm just trying to get myself into rooms that, that are going to make me better. And this is one. So I thank you guys for your time. And again, feel free to reach out anytime. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. Before you go, I'd love to be able to get in touch with you, and we have several different ways of doing so. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at AOTC underscore podcast. You can join the AOTC Coaches Facebook group. And if you want to be a part of the mini clinic emails, both of those links are listed below. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a rating or review to help others find and stay ahead of the curve.